This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two stupendous human beings, Brian Murray. Hello. And Kate Lamphere. Hey. Thank you both for joining me this week. Very excited to talk about our Goodreads Book of the Month. But before we get into that, I do want to send a warm welcome out to Erin. She's our new Goodreads mod over on our Goodreads group. If you're not a member, you should get over there, start ch- chatting with us about comic books, offer a warm welcome, and get in on this 2020 reading challenge full of comics picked by the IRCB crew and our Patreon supporters. It's a very solid reading list this year. And its I don't feel like it's as big of an undertaking as last year's for some reason. Like, I actually might finish this year. So, hooray. Um <laughs> But otherwise, welcome, Erin. I mean, I'm very excited for her to jump in and start being more um, moddy, I guess, in the group. She's already a great participant, but um, welcome, Erin, I guess. That's, that's all I wanted to say. So, you know, we're here to talk about comic books, as always. So let me ask the question I ask every single week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Brian. Uh, I've been good. I, I did that fun thing where I, I'm doing the reading challenge. So I decided right at the beginning of the month, okay, I'm going to use all my hoopla borrows. I'm going to get the first five books in the list, and then I'm going to read them all over the course of January. And I've read two of them now, and they all check back into the library at midnight. So, Oh, nice. So that plan is going super well. So but, wait, so you borrowed these in January? You borrowed them in February? In or February, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, I just wanted to make sure. I, I was like, what how long? It is, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> That's what kind of month it's been, I gotcha. Yeah, but uh, I, I read uh, Kara's suggestion, which is Plate Tectonics, an illustrated memoir by Margot mm-hmm. Motin. Um, and it's it's a really, really enjoyable read. It's a lot of uh, short sort of vignettes. It's They're all like two to five pages, roughly. And there's, you know, sort of a narrative arc of her life. But, you know, you'll you'll get two arcs in a row that are about her new boyfriend and then stuff about her mom and stuff about her kid and all that stuff. So it's a yeah, it's a really good sort of like unfiltered look into what her life is like. And the the art for it is really, really good. It's very like. I don't want to say cartoony because that Mm -hmm. seems dismissive, but it's. It, it conveys motion and expression really well. So mm-hmm. it does almost feel like you're looking at something animated, just like stills from a TV show or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just looked up some preview art. It looks, yeah, cartoonish is, is very dis- is dismissive, but I understand what you mean. Like, it's a very animated style of, you know, still work. <laughs> to, to just, yeah. Like, for a weird way to describe it. Yeah, like, you've... Because, you know, sometimes, sometimes in, in comics, it just looks like for lack of a better phrase, a drawing of a person standing there. And mm-hmm. other times it looks like, like a screenshot of a TV show or something. And this is definitely yeah. the latter. You can, you can see the movement super well in the lines. Absolutely. Uh, my, my only, my only gripe about it is that the lettering in it is mostly cursive. Okay. And I had such a hard time, like getting my eyes to read it. And I don't know if that's going to be just because I, I don't see cursive very often or if it's like a like an ADHD thing, like my eyes are skipping around too much to really process. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, that's that's the only thing that that keeps this book out of my like God tier of, of comics. <laughs> Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I um, I can understand that weird fonts can definitely throw you for a book. I've I've experienced that before in the past. Uh, Kate, what about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? 
Good. I have way too many comics out of the library as usual, and a few of them were about to check back in. So I went ahead and read uh, Hamlet and Macbeth, Shakespeare adaptations in comic book form. And the first one I want to talk about is Hamlet, uh, adapted by Malini Roy, with art by Naresh Kumar and colors by Vijay Sharma. This one came out of India, and it seems to kind of be like for educational purposes, Mm -hmm. Because it ent- it opens with a bunch of information about Shakespeare and his uh, his company of actors and the Globe Globe Theater and and the the time period at which Shakespeare is active and everything like that and then it gets into the play of Hamlet and it seems like it's a word for work, word pickup of the script I haven't read the script in a couple of years so I could be wrong about that but mm-hmm. it seemed like the monologues are just as long and there's just as many like subplots and things going on. Um, my biggest complaint is that some of the characters looked really similar and without the dialogue tags in the, in the script, it was almost impossible to tell some of them apart. Um, of course, you know, Hamlet and his family are the main characters. So as long as you can tell them apart, which I could, you still get the story, but right. Right. Um, I, I do want to say that the ghost scenes where Hamlet and some of the other characters see the, the, his father, the past King, the one that was the, the one that was murdered, um, that was done really well because you kind of get these over the shoulder shots of the character who is seeing or alternatively not seeing the ghost. So like mm-hmm. one panel will be over Hamlet's shoulder and the next panel will be over like his uncle's shoulder and they're seeing different things. So that was done really well. And then like the visual of the ghost was like this glowy blue outline. So that was nice. Yeah. Yeah, like a line in the sky or something that says, you know, remember who you are. Right? That's, the- <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. Um, so I did like um, reading Shakespeare in this form, in comic book form. You kind of lose the am- iambic pentameter of like the break in the lines, but it's a much faster way to read it sure. when it's broken into smaller bubbles and you can visually see what's happening instead of trying to stop and be like, what does this word mean? Like, this is Victorian English. I don't know what it mm-hmm. means now. Um, <laughs> and then Macbeth was adapted by Garen, Gareth Hines, and he has a couple of other Shakespeare adaptations I might check out. Um, mm-hmm. The rear matter in this one, he talks about a lot about his process and how he really made this a more horror-oriented adaptation, so we cut out a bunch of parts that didn't inform that retelling. Of course, it was still um, the script. I mean, the parts that he kept were still from like the original script. He modernized it a little bit so that it, you didn't have to stop and be like, what does this word mean? Right, um, right. But again, this was a, re- a really good way to read this one. I never realized how nefarious Lady Macbeth is <laughs> for some reason. Okay. <laughs> like, I've read this this play like three or four different times and Lady Macbeth was always just kind of like Macbeth's wife. Nope. No, uh, she's, uh, you could call her the bad guy. Anyway. Interesting. Um, She's the real power. <laughs> yeah. Um, I the, uh, the design of the three witches was really good, and I really enjoyed that. Um, one of them kind of has this African design with this big antelope skull. One is more of a like uh, like a hag design, really old and shriveled, has this black veil on. And then the other one is like this hearth mother design um, with, a I want to say, a ram's skull on it, much more like Scotland-oriented. Um, and if you do want to check out some Macbeth translations, but you're not necessarily into the original like uh, 
prose, the way that Shakespeare writes. Um, you could check out Toil and Trouble by Marguerite Scott, Kelly Matthews, and Nicole Matthews. And that one is entirely from the witch's perspective. Um, it's not the most of the words are not from the original script, and it's more oriented toward how Macbeth's and Banquo's actions are affecting like the land of Scotland. So if you want to check out some Shakespeare translations, but you're not actually up for Shakespeare. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't know I don't know what modern movie is based on Macbeth other than the movies that are called Macbeth. So I I can't make a fun cultural joke in this one. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so this was great. This was like I didn't mean to read two Shakespeare adaptations. I had just found them both at the library and was like, oh, I should check this out because it's been years since I read these. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a good time. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, well, for me, I read, so I have an, an, an in-office book club that I think I've mentioned on the show here before. I know I've talked with folks on Discord about it and stuff. Um, and for this, for the month of February, we decided to do something that's not necessarily romantic love, but like platonic love between between characters like friends or family and things like that. And so for this, for this month, we read The Girl from the Other Side, Volume 1. This is a, a manga written, art and drawn, colored, whatever, by uh, Nagabe, with translations by Adrian Black and lettering by Liz Blakesley. This is like for the English translation. Um, what's really interesting is basically the story is it's a slow, it's a very slow moving, well paced story about a girl and her outsider. Um, and so the, the story starts with Shiva, this little girl. She's all alone in the world and an outsider who she calls teacher is taking care of her. Why? Well, that's the question of the story. This eight year old girl, eight ish, we don't really know how old she is. Um, she's all alone waiting for her aunt to come back to her her aunt has gone off in some something we don't really know um, we see bits of her past with her aunt being told that if she ever sees an outsider to run and yet here she is being taken care of by her teacher um, and the rule of the story is if a human touches an outsider they'll become cursed so that you know it's natural that children would want to run away and anybody would want to run, run away and as the story goes on um we don't really ever find out what it means to be cursed. We just know that it's a bad thing. And the teacher, who's this outsider, is this void character, um, reminds Shiva constantly like not to touch him. So they, they whenever they, they need to be close to each other, there's usually like an object of some kind that they use to interact at the same time, but they never physically touch it by any capacity. Um, and really, th- this this is a manga like I flew through without realizing, and it's an, a gorgeous piece of art. Everything is drawn in heavy blacks, almost as if the story was drawn on black paper. The outsider is this slender, void-colored figure dressed in human school teacher clothing, but everything about this story is dark. It's covered in shadow, the forest, the houses, everything. The light in the story seems to only be Shiva and her innocence, which I think is a really interesting way to play up the idea of a young girl existing in this very dark, horrible world. Um, the... You, you see this little girl's dialogue being like, she's very playful, she's very innocent, she's just a little girl trying to survive, and so the story is about her and her teacher either learning about something, trying to cook food together, trying to find food, um, since the teacher can't, he seems to be able to interact with inanimate objects, sometimes living food, sometimes not, it, it all depends. The rules are not really clear in the book, and I think that's what makes it really compelling. And this is quite honestly one of the most the, the best manga I've read in a long while because it's sweet and innocent and extremely haunting. I would say you could give this comic to like a younger reader, maybe someone who's like 11 or 13 or whatever, and I think they would enjoy it as much as I would And cre- it, because it creates this sense of wonder and fairy tale feeling that's also a little bit scary, but that makes it super compelling. Um, and so I went and I read volume one for this book club and talked about it and then immediately went to the comic shop and bought the next three volumes because it's that good. So I'm really 
really excited to read more of it. Um, Kate, I know you had talked about this as like your pick of the week a long, long while ago, and I'm glad that I finally got around to read it because holy smokes, it is good. Yeah, I love this book. I keep waiting for number four to just like magically appear in my library, and it hasn't yet. So I might just uh, to uh, I might just pull a leaf out of your book and go buy all of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they're up to like volume eight at this oh my, point that are oh out. My so. Gosh. If you can, I mean, I went to, I went to a like manga specific store and they had all eight volumes. So I, I grabbed just the first four because I only needed four. <laughs> we'll see <laughs> if I get the rest. I mean, I'm going to get the rest. Just I didn't need to spend that much money in one sitting. So um, yeah, it's, it's fucking incredible. Just gotta, just gotta do what I used to do in high school. Just go sit in Barnes and Noble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could, yeah, I could do that. I think that this appear uh, would, would appear to the same kind of reader um, as Witch Head Atelier, which I know that you and I both also yes. really like, but like the yes. same uh, the same age range, the same kind of like wonder and, and mystery behind it. Yeah, I, I think I think this book is a little bit scarier in some capacity, but I wouldn't say that it's like a Junji Ito horror book. It just has this this haunting kind of tense feeling in the background of it, but it's still very, very good. Um yeah, I, I really, yeah, I think I, I was trying to explain this to Kelly, and I was saying basically, like, if you like Witch Hat Atelier, you're going to like this book. I, I think it has the same vibe to it, where there's a lot of mystery and a lot of slow unpacking of the the lore in the book as as you go on, and it feels supernatural. So, um, I mean, in two ways, I guess that was an unintended pun. But anyways, the book's really good. I highly recommend it if you can get your hands on it. It's on Comixology. You can also find physical copies in book bookstores. Um, but otherwise, I quickly want to talk about another book that I read. I talked about it as my pick of the week last week, which is Alienated Number 1 by Simon Spurrier and art by Chris Wildgoose. Um, and really, this book is as good as I expected it to be. Some really well-written voices, some great pacing. Um, it feels like a teen movie action thriller. Uh, and there's some very terrible but very well written antagonists um i think this is going to be a super solid month-to-month book and an even better collected edition um if you haven't picked this up i highly recommend it i think it was one of the best books that came out in february um hands down did you did you guys get a chance to check this out at all i know i haven't yet okay okay i just was curious i don't know how many issues are out at this point but i might just like trade weight it yeah, I mean, the first issue just came out last week. So I would say, oh, well. I think, like I said, I think it's going to be a good collection. It's going to be a really good month to month. I think Simon Spurrier, as a writer, knows how to do a well paced month to month book that doesn't leave you going into the next issue going, wait, what the fuck happened last issue? Um, I think he does a really good job of really drilling things into your head so that you remember what happens month to month. I think that's a really tough thing nowadays when it comes to non-big two books for people is that i mean hell even the big two has this problem i run into this all the time did i read that last issue what exactly happened um especially with some of the x-men books when they're switching stories issue to issue with no clear intended purpose i'm looking at new fucking new mutants but um yeah no i think this is going to be really good so i hope you guys get a chance to check it out but otherwise let's talk about comic books that are coming out this upcoming week comic books are dropping on February 26, 2020. What are you both excited for this week? Kate, I'm pitching back to you. Um, I Before I get into what I'm excited about, I wanted to say that I noticed that what Once in Future is getting more printings. Number two is on the fourth printing, and I'm somehow an issue or two behind, so I'm going to have to catch up with that and possibly just reread it from the beginning because I yeah, was same. entranced by that one. 
Um, what I'm excited for that's coming out this week is called The Phantom Twin by Lisa Brown. It's published by First Second, and I have gushed over First Second before. Everything I've ever mm-hmm. read from them is great. Um, this one is about um, conjoined twins that it seem to be working for a circus, but then they meet some doctor that thinks that he can um, separate them and it's like successfully. And when he cuts them apart and one of them dies, and then the one that dies haunts the one that's living. And it's, it's a really compelling idea. Like, I don't know how somebody came up with this idea. Like, oh, this has happened before in real life. I'm going to turn it into this, like, cute book, I guess. Um, cute? Is that the right word, Kate? <laughs> well, it's, it's out of first second. And everything from first second so far that I've read has been cute. So Well... I'm just saying, this does not sound cute, that's all. (laughs) Um, The art is a little bit more bubbly. Like, uh, you guys had been talking about more cartoonish art. Um, I would say, like, bubbly is a good word for this one. It's it's simple, more line work, um, really, like, round faces and everything. And it's not usually the kind of art that I go for. Usually I go for a little bit more detailed, I want to say realistic, quote-unquote art. Um, But Mm -hmm. with the plot and then this publisher, I'm going to have to check this out. Yeah. I mean, I I still stick to this. I don't think you can go wrong with the first second book. I've never been steered wrong by them. So I hope it's good. Yeah, me too. This could be the first failure. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> um, what about you, Brian? What are you excited for this week? Uh, well, after after last week's episode, I think you sold me on finger guns number one. Uh, yes. That one's dropping this week uh, mm-hmm. for those of us who did not get your preview copies. Um, and I am super stoked. Uh, it's this, like, this super weird concept of, like, the, the emotion influencing finger gun thing. Mm -hmm. It's, it's so, like, it's so unusual. It's not something that I've seen done in a comic book before. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea of taking, you know, like that that element of of play that a lot of american kids have where you're you know running around going bang bang shooting finger guns at each other and taking it from you know what is inherently a a violent route and turning it into something much more emotive um yeah i was also promised teen angst which followers (laughs) of the show will know is entirely my shit so, um, I'm looking forward to see what uh, what they do in this book. I I definitely will say I don't I don't think you're going to be disappointed, but I'm very excited to hear what you think of it after you read it. We will we'll definitely have to check back in on that one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for me this week, uh, I was going to pick an X book because it's all I have in my life, I guess. <laughs> but I decided that I'm going to actually I was actually pleasantly surprised to look at the polls for next week, and I see that Heathen Number Nine is actually finally coming out. I I don't know what the delay was, or if there was maybe they they were waiting to finish the whole book before they started releasing it regularly again. But um, Natasha Alterisi on writing duties with the new artist Ashley Woods. It's actually coming out. I was 100% wrong about Woods being on issue number eight, and I realized that when I went and read number eight. Um, so my apologies to all of you screaming into your podcast headphones saying, "Mike, you fucking, you fucked up, Mike." Um, 
I get it. I get it. So um, Ashley Woods is actually going to be on this issue. Um, I'm just excited. I, I don't. Heathen is a book that I've loved since I read issue number one, and I've can, I've reread volume one probably three or four times. I've reread volume two probably twice at this point. I really really like this book, and um, I I just can't wait to get more of it. I, I think this is probably one of those. It was is weirdly one of those like most anticipated books for a long time, and then unfortunately, I think just because of medical issues and 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 stress and whatever else, um, you know, the book kind of fell off. But it's coming back, just like Sex Criminals, which oh, spoilers, that's what we're talking about today. <laughs> you know, this book kind of comes and goes, and hopefully, we'll get the proper ending that this book deserves. I have full faith in Natasha Alterisi to deliver it. I think she she knows exactly where this book is going, and if I'm not mistaken, it's supposed to be 18 or 24 issues or something. So um maybe 12 who knows mike i i don't know anything about this book apparently i don't even know who's on it or what's working on it so um we'll see but i know she said that at one point on her patreon that there wasn't a definite end and it was a certain number of issues someone out there please let me know but i'm very excited for this book it's it's one of the coolest concept books out there that i've, I've read in a long time so I, I i will always root for it have you guys you guys have read this book right no uh, i have it oh I have the first two uh, volumes. This is one that I am trade waiting because I want it to have it like on display being like, hey, everyone that visits my house should sit down and read this. So yes, yes. it's going to be a well, little while before I catch up. We got to convince Brian to get on this then. Um, but otherwise, yeah, well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about Sex Criminals Volume 1 as part of our Goodreads Book of the Month. So we're going to, you know, get into one weird trick and it's going to be full spoilers and very adult. Be back in a second. For our show this week, we are talking about Sex Criminals Volume 1 called One Weird Trick. This is written by Matt Fraction with art by Chip Zdarsky. I want to say warning, full spoilers. We're going to be talking 18 plus this week. So this is your a spoiler warning and an adult content warning. If you don't know what brimping is or how to play for queeps, we suggest reading Sex Criminals and opening your mind to the infinite possibilities of teenagers misunderstanding sex. So let's get right into this thing. Let's get deep into all of the sexual puns we're going to be making <laughs> as part of this episode. Brian, Kate, what did you guys think of Volume 1 of Sex Criminals? Had you read it before? And if you did, what was your reread like? Um, I'm going to just throw to you, Kate. Yeah, I did read this one way back when it came out in 2014, and I remember not liking it then, but I'm wondering if that's because back in 2014, I hadn't read that many comics, so I didn't really understand that the comics can be this, they can be so unpredictable and flexible about the things that they talk about, so I feel like I was I was kind of weirded out that they're you know, they're just like talking about orgasms and there mm-hmm. there's there's penises and, you know, uh, and now, of course, I've read way more. And so I had a good time reading it this time around. Yeah, that, that's interesting that you say that, because I I don't know if this is necessarily a great first comic for someone because of that. Like, I think Sex Criminals is really interesting for comic book regular or readers who re- regularly read comic books because it is such a break from the norm of how I think a lot of comic books are written. Um, it's very, like, first person, third person, depending on where we are in the story, and because it takes place in Susie's kind of mind, but at the same time, it takes place in the regular... I don't know, like, the in a third person perspective. So, because we do get to see both sides of the characters... Um, 
and I mean, I know some prose books do that and and all that, but it was it's an interesting break from I think, like I said, from the norm of a lot of comic books. Um, plus, we we get things like sexual Gary, and um, <laughs> you know, I don't know, Brian, what do you think of this book? Uh, I mean, I, I love this book. I also read it back when it first came out and the when the first trade came out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I think I think you bought it and I read it when we were living in the house together. But that I, sounds right. <clears throat> It's it's just so funny. Yeah. There is so like especially if, if you're reading this book and you're you're not paying attention to the backgrounds, you're missing out on a lot. Mm-hmm. There's like mm-hmm. so many of the good jokes in this book are just like like what a store is called in the background or like the uh I remember in one one of the one of the shelves in the porn store they go to is Obamacore. Yeah. For uh, healthcare related <laughs> pornography. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that is one of the things I think that sold people on this book is it's not just the actual well-written, well-constructed dialogue that creates the comedy beats, but also all of the background jokes. Like it's clear that Chip Zdarsky and Matt Fraction were just having a fucking blast making this book because they they're saying all of the like weird dick jokes and weird fart jokes and and sex jokes that I think people make in their day-to-day lives it, it, like with at, like as a couple maybe people make these jokes you know as a couple or with their friends or something and you're actually seeing it on paper and printed in a book it's kind of like oh i like these these weird thoughts or these things that i thought were weird and maybe they're not so weird maybe there is like some normalization of of someone propping you up on a table and saying i'm going to fuck the shit out of you and there's like a, a hint of joke or like a comedy there but also seriousness as you eventually go and bang on said table so i i don't know i i that's the thing that like really sells you about this book is how authentic it feels um and i think if you read like i read this in single issues um way back in the day and then i reread it in single issues because i i had them i i i really appreciate the honesty in the back of these books there's a lot of comedy in the letters but some of the stuff in the first couple of issues is matt and matt fraction in particular being very honest about like yeah this is some of this is kind of based on my actual you know sexual experience as a as a younger kid or, or younger adult and it's it's awkward as fuck it's so fucking terrible being someone who's just like having sex with somebody and then you don't orgasm like but yet you still keep going with it like that that was one of the funniest things i think in this volume was you know um uh shit what's his name uh, i'm blanking John, thank you. John, you know, talking about the first two times he had sex with this woman that he met in college, like, he didn't orgasm at all. <laughs> and Susie is just so shocked by that. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, like, this is this is the thing that happens. And I, again, it's it's that authenticity of, like, the, the, the weird things or the odd things that happen during sex and how everyone's sexual experience is so vastly different. And I, I love, like, to get beyond this volume, you know, like, they, they do explore... a a whole multitude of people and their sexual experiences to try to cover the incredibly wide range of sexual experiences for people. And of course it's, it's impossible to do that in one book, but um, you know, it's, it's through the like letters pages and like things that happen in the book that allow people to bring their stories to the backs of these like individual issues that really 
makes this such a compelling book in some ways because you start to hear more and more and more of people's sexual experiences and then letter writers end up responding to future letter writers as people go, oh, well, this reminded me of a thing that happened to me or here's what happens when I have sex like this. And um, it's like a really open sex positive dialogue that was started because of this book. And it's all because of all the, the heavy comedy to say like, oh, look at all these these weird things. I'm normalizing it. Now you can you should feel comfortable to talk about your quote unquote weird stuff. And I, I'm not trying to stigmatize anything by any means, but like the weird or funny bits of sex come out in this book. And I think it normalizes that feeling for a lot of people. Yeah. Before we keep going, I kind of want to summarize what the volume was about, if that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I guess we could do that, Kate. Sure. Um, so this one, so this book starts with Susie telling her story of figuring out what the quiet place is. And basically she, she orgasms for the first time and then everything around her freezes so she can just like go and wander around and like uh, uh, interact with people that don't even realize that she's there. And it's only when um, we find out later in the, in the story that it's only when she starts thinking like about orgasming again or sex again, then that's when time resumes normally. So if she's like someplace else that she wasn't at when this started, then that's where she's at when time resumes. Um, and then she finally meets somebody else who can do this. And of course, I'm blanking on his name because why wouldn't I? John. It's, it's John. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. We don't have anybody's names written down in our notes, folks. Like, <laughs> So John John talks to her about his experiences and you were saying like, uh, you know, his first experience in college of losing his virginity and things like that. And how his experiences with with this time freezing is different. He calls it Come World, which is after a pornography store that he like snuck into as a kid when he first realized that he well, could freeze time. Hold on, hold on. I, I <laughs> so in my mind, I thought he called it Come World before he saw the, saw the porn shop because that's how like thirteen year old boys think that. And then he happened to come across this shop. And I realize maybe that the story negates that, but in my head canon of sex criminals. <laughs> dumb yeah. boys just name things dumb ways that's that's what it comes down to anyways continue kate. see i liked uh i liked kate referring to it as the quiet place instead of the quiet the quiet because that oh. makes me think that every <laughs> time movie. she gets off she's attacked by eyeless monsters <laughs> that are hunting john krasinski or whatever his name is right right john krasinski just shows up in this frozen time world and he's just like shut the fuck up right now. <laughs> Um, so anyway, sorry. the story, the the volume ends with them. They they uh, decide to rob a bank because Susie is a librarian and the bank is shutting down her library because they can't pay the mortgage um, because of you know the United States. Anyway, so John works well, and for banks this bank. Are just fucking awful. That's also yeah, part of it. Yeah, um, John works for this bank and he he hates he hates his boss. He hates his job. Um, so they're going to rob the bank and then suddenly there's another character who can freeze time and she has lackeys and there's this whole time police thing and her name is Kegel Face. <laughs> or they call her Kegel Face at yeah, least. Yeah, one assumes oh, she has an actual name, name but... <laughs> no! <laughs> anyway, so that's how the book ends is them trying to run away from, from Kegel Face and her lackeys. Just as they're about to get turned over to the police too, yeah. right? Like Kegel Face somehow has a connection to the police because I think she works for a police station. Unclear. And... Yeah. Yeah, and she she basically handcuffs John and Susie, and through, you know, fun times in this comic, they know how to get out of the handcuffs, because they're sex toy handcuffs, because why not? Yeah. And uh, 
Yeah, so they get out and manage to, to run away before she can unfreeze time, essentially, and turn them over to the yeah. police. Or, well, a... really not that anyone can control freezing time, but there, there's a great moment where they pull out a dildo, and um, it starts to vibrate, or vibrator, excuse me, and it starts to vibrate, and she comes out of the quiet, and um, which I, I thought was a very funny bit, as all of the ver- the people that took them over come out, like, fall out of the quiet because they're suddenly horny again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, and, and what that all means and how it all goes is explored in further volumes but um i I guess like the the thing that makes this volume great is like the setup is in fucking sane i remember reading the 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 solicit for number one way back in 2014 everyone this book started in 2014 um and i couldn't believe the concept because i just looking at the title of the book it was like how the fuck can you get away calling a book sex criminals? Like I was thinking about that as I was like rereading this book. I'm like on a shelf of books that you could have sitting at your house. You could eventually have a book called sex criminals. And I got to imagine that raises an eyebrow for people (laughs) to go. "Um, Mike, could you tell me what the fuck this is? (laughs) Here we are. You know? (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, that's the thing. It's, it's, a, it's all a play on words because that's what this book is. It's full of plays on words. It's full of puns. It's full of sex jokes. It's fucking... It's one of the funniest books you can read, hands down. I wanted to talk about the covers for the issues. I thought that they were really ingenious. Oh, snap. Um, so, yes. at least in the, the volume that I was reading, it shows you the, the main printed covers, um, like the not variant editions, <laughs> before the issue starts. And they're just silhouettes mm-hmm. with like a bright color and then white. And I thought that it mm-hmm. was a super effective way for them to be able to basically show explicit art, but it's all silhouettes. Um, and you don't mm-hmm. like see an outline of a dick or anything like that. So, it's just like them kissing or them clearly in bed or something like that so anyway it was Mm -hmm. a really great way to show hey this is what's happening in this book but also it's not actually um like triple x rated or anything on the cover so it can just like be in your lcs (laughs) on the shelf well, it's it's funny you say that because in later like later issues, I think maybe around issue twenty, maybe earlier than that, maybe like fourteen or fifteen, um, they had like taken hiatuses as the book was going on, and then eventually they came back and they were like, "What if we started doing very explicit covers as variants?" And they cost four dollars and sixty nine cents because wink, um, and so they did, and they have been doing that since. The, sh- the series has come back and I mean like they took another nine month break very recently and now it's coming back again and they're still doing these like very very explicit covers I know this because I've bought every single one of them because I gotta have them because this book is hilarious and also eventually one day I have to say here's my smut collection son so that my son or daughter can be ashamed of me um but uh yeah it's 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 very funny. I mean, their, their covers have been consistently beautiful as the series has gone on. And then they started doing these these variant covers that are not done by Chip Zdarsky, mind you. They are done by, like, one-off artists. So we had people like Brian Lee O'Malley. We had Kate Leth, Jason Latour, um, Tula Lote. I mean, like, a ton of different artists have come in and done these very sexually explicit covers just because, um, like I said, this is a very sex-positive book. So it's not necessarily something to be ashamed of so much as, like they're trying to celebrate some of the goofy sex stuff that happens in this book. 
Yeah, there was a variant cover that was included in the back of the volume where they the two creators posed like as if it were for like a prom shot, but they're oh, yes. they live in totally different places, so they had to like Photoshop it together. So they have these pictures of like the one guy has a stand-in that's his friend, and his friend just looks like he's like looking off to the side, super awkward, but you know, mm-hmm. it's really cute. Yeah, I, I'm sure, and if I remember correctly, like that variant sold like fucking hotcakes. I think it was like a fourth fourth printing variant cover. And since that came out, like people have done like, okay, I'm gonna take a picture of me holding that cover with my friend. And then Matt and Chip did the same thing where they took another picture, or like I think it was Kieran and J- Kieran Mc- Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey t- took a photo of them holding the two people that were holding the Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky <laughs> cover. And like they kept doing it ad infinite and. It's it's hilarious. I mean, I think they've been there is somewhere a thread out there that has all of the connecting like infinity versions of those covers. Um, that sounds like a really fun tech project where you just zoom in with your mouse and it just goes all the way down to the base like the first one. And then as you zoom out, you get through the hundreds of different covers. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that'd be a fun project. Anyways, Brian, um, do you have any favorite moments in this book? Anything that like really popped out maybe on a reread for this? Uh. I, I think the uh, the scene when when little Susie in middle school is in the bathroom with one of the one of the the hashtag bad girls, <laughs> right, who's with her, telling with her, her all about future sex. Best friend. Yeah, yeah, and she's just drawing stuff on the bathroom stall that is like supposed to be sex acts, like the kinds of things that a thirteen year old thinks might be sex acts, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a part where like. Like Susie's eyes are sort of getting wider and wider, and then at a certain point, she's like, "I have to go." Like <laughs> this, this has abruptly become too much for poor Susie to handle. Yeah, I actually pulled that page up before we started recording, and like some of like, there's one that gets me every single time, and it's queeps. And I made the joke earlier, but it is. <laughs> it's a guy going down on a girl, and the girl has a gun pointed at the guy's head. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It is just the most absurd thing you could see drawn. And the other one that I really like is the autoerotic twerking, where it's just two naked people separated, masked, <laughs> tied up, like bouncing against each other as if they would be having sex, but they are not touching at all. It's it's in fucking sane. Um, but eventually the backs of these letters, um, the letter columns in the back of these issues, um, they always refer to the readers as hey brimpers <laughs> because... You know, one of the sex acts is brimping, where a man has sex with a woman's hair that is pulled up <laughs> above her head. Um, yeah, at the one of the one of the back pages in the the trade that I read was just a list of all of the terms they came up with, <laughs> and even all the ones that that didn't make it into the uh, into the the panel. So, like uh, the unrelated Godfather is one. What? <laughs> uh, Montezuma's reward. <laughs> Beathering. Yep. Okay. Okay. Uh, I mean, this the self service sounds... gas station. Oh Christ! <laughs> is going to be my my last one. <laughs> this is the thing that's like really wild about this book. Is it like I said? It feels like Matt and Chip are just we're just having a great time putting this book together. There was I think there's a variant cover. I actually picked it up of 
I think it was like a fourth printing variant of like a later issue where it was it was Matt writing an email to Chip and it was like, hey, what if we did a book about sex? I have to find it. I, I can't remember exactly what it is, but I remember seeing it and just falling out of my chair laughing because this book is absolutely hilarious and it's probably one half uncomfortability and the other half is just like genuine comedy. I mean, like there, there are moments like, like something that... <laughs> That John is talking about at one point when they're talking about his like self-discovery, understanding masturbation and sex. And he says, I think I thought sex was something like taxes, a thing grown-ups did. I just hadn't figured out why I wanted to do my taxes so goddamn bad. (laughs) And and as someone who was at one point a young prebescent boy, um, I understand that. There's something about it. It just, you don't know what it is, but you know that you really want to do it. See, um, and now that I'm 31, I really do just look forward to doing my taxes that much. Because <laughs> I gotta get that tax refund, you know? Right, it's it's somehow as good of a feeling as sex? <laughs> Getting yeah. that tax refund? I mean, it's it's up there. I mean, <laughs> those are the two main ways I make my money, so... Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that's astounding about this book is like, it is a, it is a stupendous comedy. Um, and I think it's very, it's very well written, as I've said. Um, but it is also a really goofy concept that we're like, the, the, the plan to rob a bank just gets hatched based on, you know, a combination of frustration, happiness, and I think misunderstood mental illness, you know, like, like John's whole thing that he reveals by the end of this issue is that he has ADD with ODD. I can't remember what the ODD stands for, um, but it's it's essentially he has this this thing where he feels the urge to act out beyond just um, you know like maybe screaming or yelling or something. And you know, and he talks about how he's no longer on medication, how he's he he has a problem. He has a problem, and I say that in heavy quotes, where he acts out, but he feels like he has it under control. He goes to yoga, he meditates, and he shits in his boss's plant as an act of defiance um which is it's really interesting because as this series goes on i don't want to talk beyond too far beyond this but this book also becomes a discussion about um mental health i think uh as the characters grow and learn more about each other because in this first volume you know they they spend what i think Susie calls 55 hours together and that is like a lot of time to spend with one person in general um even when you're like married to spend like that much time side by side doing something together that's fucking crazy um and yeah i told you kate (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say not not to say that I don't do that with my wife regularly, but like especially when you first meet someone, that's that's pretty wild to feel like such an attachment to someone. And I, I think it's good. It can be bad. It, I think you know I'm not trying to judge anybody by by any means, but I think like both John and Susie point that out. Like Susie wants to stay together, and John's like, I've been we've been together for like two and a half days. It's okay for us to take a break because we you know you want to keep that feeling of I want to find a reason to see you rather than just being around each other the whole time. Um and so as this story goes, you know, they they hatch this plan as they find out more about each other and and by the time this volume ends, you know, these this whatever they thought was a well-laid plan um kind of falls back on them as they un- as they have an unforeseen circumstance of this other person or these other people who can go into the quiet or come world as it is. Um yeah, it's, it's. I think it's it's such a wild book because they they're able to do this comedy, but also have some really serious moments in it, and I and it only gets better as the story goes on. Um, but yeah, that's I, that's the thing I took away from this first volume, seeing all the seeds planted here in this first volume, and I, not to say that you. 
I don't know, like there's this huge overarching story, but like it all does connect together because it is a cohesive story. Um, I, I wouldn't say this is something like a saga, for instance, where like <laughs> Brian K. Vaughn is laying seeds in volume one that pay off in volume eight. But um, like Fraction and Zdarsky clearly had like a direction they were going for. And seeing this first volume kind of end with a big like who's going to like what's going to happen um, is great to keep you on the hook. But I also think that if the book ended right there because maybe it wasn't selling well, it wouldn't be a bad first volume because I think it touched on a lot of things that are um, really important to talk about. And I don't think that we talk about it enough in the United States to get, you know, super political about it, I guess. Yeah, well, I I wanted to bring up how incredibly difficult it was for Susie to find information about orgasming or sex or anything related to 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 bodies when she oh, was yeah. a teenage oh, yeah. girl trying to figure out what was happening to her. And at one point, she asked her doctor, like, "Hey, what happens after an orgasm?" And he's like, "You fall asleep next to your husband." And yeah, that's <laughs> that's pretty much um, that's pretty much how it, how it is in the United States, or at least how it was when I was that age, um, trying to figure out yeah. what the heck is, is happening to my body, or in this case, to her body. Anyway, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. no, so no, it's I, definitely, I, I absolutely agree. It's definitely a commentary on a problem in society. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's all I, all I remember about sex education when I was growing up is a lot of medical diagrams about like, you know, a, a sliced open penis, you know, from oh, the side uh. and, you know, like a sliced open uterus from the top just to be like, here's what it's like on the inside. Don't put those two things together. God damn it. Like that was the answer. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, uh, um, <laughs> the scene in Mean Girls, the don't have sex or you will get pregnant and die. Like <laughs> yeah. that was that was pretty much my my high school sex ed class. Yeah. I mean, and you know, like we, you said, Brian, you're 31. I'm 31 as well. Like it's, it's, it's a. I, I, I would hope that in some places it's better. I know in other places, I know in a lot of places it's not. Um, but you know, to hear about Susie and John growing up, it seems like they grew up in like the 80s ish. I think is when we're putting this together. So um, things were probably worse then, which is f- kind of scary. So I don't know. Yeah, I think um, that Susie was in elementary school in 1991. Okay. Okay. Someone's got a timeline. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, there's, and again, this is where like the book is, is, has a really interesting like mix of things. Like there is a lot of like really interesting social commentary in the book that is peppered with a lot of comedy, um, to, to make it, I think a little bit more digestible, but also making a serious point. Um, and as the story goes on, that becomes even more prevalent, but yeah. I don't know. It's fucking. I fucking love this book. This book is so much fun to read. I wanted to talk about how this book breaks the fourth wall. Um, so the way that it's narrated is that you see Susie's uh, backstory of her in middle school and trying to figure out all the stuff. And normally, if a character is telling their backstory in a comic book, we see the narration in, in a, like a box or something, and then we see what happened in the past. But in this one adult Susie is actually in the panel with child Susie, like looking at Mm -hmm. basically the camera, quote unquote, um, and describing what's happening. And then later on, and like, I want to say issue three or four, there's this scene where she's singing a Freddie Mercury song and dancing around and they couldn't get oh, fat bottom girl. Yeah, yeah. They couldn't get the lyrics to include it in the comic, (laughs) but they, they must've already done the art. I I was going to ask you guys if they, we're able to fix that for the trade because in the single issues I read, they're like, maybe we'll get the license for the trade. We're not sure. Nope. 
Oh, okay. They changed okay. the wording a little bit to say we were we were trying to get it for the trade, but it never happened. So, gotcha. But gotcha. they are talking to the reader in like what look like post-it notes, basically over where the song lyrics would be. But they didn't change the art at all, so they still have all no. of these like kind of half imagined, half imagined, crazy dancers wearing almost nothing in the background as she's like singing, standing on a pool table. So it's still wild and crazy. But it's really, um, it's kind of funny, but also like kind of unusual that the creators are just like talking to the reader. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love that. I mean, I think like this book is, it, it's incredibly, you know, meta aware, right? To the point where they're like, uh, and I, I think there's a flash forward moment and they're like with the power of editing and then they cut to another scene that's just like, just to move this the story forward. I mean, I think like it's definitely a, it's a book that is it's aware that it's a comic book and I, I think that's what makes it I think less awkward to read because it feels like you're having a dialogue with the creators versus them just kind of laying it out how they think. I think they're inviting people to come in and have a conversation with them like through the letters pages and that's why at the end of each of these issues like it's fucking crazy but they definitely have three to five pages of letters in every single issue, um, especially starting with issue two is when the letters start coming in. And as someone who's collected all the single issues since it came out, like it's crazy to see how many pages of letters that they had to the point where they ended up putting out a little book called Sex Tips, which is all, you know, I think it's some of the stuff from the back of the book. I think it's some of it with like a, an actual um, sex therapist or sex doctor. I don't know what the actual name is, but um, where they actually talk about, you know, how to be safe and smart about sex and do things that you maybe didn't know about and all that stuff. I haven't read it. I just own it. You know, guys, I'm just a collector. I don't read any of this stuff. <laughs> yeah. I haven't read it, but I own it is like the, the IRCB mantra. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Did you guys back that latest humble bundle? Because uh, it's like 7,000 comic books for $8. Are you ever going to read any of those? Um, yeah. Anyways, I mean, but uh, I, I don't know. Ed, did you guys have any any other favorite jokes from this book? I jotted down a handful of mine, like one of the sex tips from the letters pages, which is when there was only one pair of footprints, that's when you were crazy bouncing on my big old rod. <laughs> I liked... Uh, <laughs> because the, the, the letters pages are just fucking full of gems like that. I liked uh, Sexual Gary. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have no idea what that is, but... Well, at one point, it's like... It's just a poster that she's like she, as she's as Susie is flashing through all of the things that like maybe turned her on. One of them is like a poster of just some guy, and it just says "sexual Gary" in big text. And for some reason, that just became a recurring joke in the series. Yeah, or uh, uh, in in John's first time scene, uh, mm-hmm. one of the 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 woman that he's betting down with, one of her friends puts on music before she leaves. And they mm-hmm. don't know, like, where the music is coming from, and they don't want to, like, stop and get up to stop it. Mm-hmm. And so the, through that entire deeply awkward scene, there's just somebody, like, somebody named Esteban crooning in the background. Oh, yeah. And they did a perfect, like, silhouette of him, like, in the room, like, bu- like in the bed with them. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, there, was, there was one that... <laughs> some of the lines are just... <laughs> So when you pull them out of context, they're so good. Like one of them is like, how the hell do you rob a bank? <laughs> and John just says, come. <laughs> but like, it's cut off. There's more to the story, but like, 
<laughs> for some reason that just that just tickled me for for some reason i loved it so much um there's just a lot of really ridiculous little bits um or <laughs> after the first time Susie and john have sex you know Susie says you know she notices that john's penis is glowing and <laughs> she says does it feel like anything and she's like poking at his at his groin and he says feels like you know a dick <laughs> i i don't know to me that's just like <laughs> i love that like that like matter of factness is just so so wonderful about this book like i said it's so raw it feels super real like the fucking weird conversations that you have with people in an intimate setting somehow printed into a book um or maybe i'm having these weird conversations and nobody else's but it made me feel like a regular person (laughs) no i think that like there is something inherently funny about sex and i think that if you if you can't laugh about it then I don't know. Maybe find somebody you can laugh about it with. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 a it's it's a. I think a, a comment that I really like about this book is that these two people are very like experienced in like their sexual lives. Like they've they've had multiple partners, and so by the time they get together, you know, they understand what they like, what they don't like. And they're able to kind of goof around with this thing that I think a lot of people are very like super nervous about, right? Um, because they've they've found a way to be like comfortable with their sexual selves, you know, with their way their body looks, the way that they, you know, perform sex, um, for lack of a better phrase. Like, so when they're getting together, it's like they're just doing something that is considered to them, I think, super normal. And of course, in their case, it's very normal because who wouldn't want to have an orgasm and then be able to walk around in a frozen world? Like, that's insane. That's super cool to a certain extent. Um, I mean, we, we walk into a whole, like, consent thing in it, you know, I think eventually, but um, not about, like, sexual consent, but just, like, consent in general about anything. But uh, yeah, it's it's wild i mean and that's again they they normalize a lot of the sexual stuff in this book in order to get you i think over that hump that a lot of people (laughs) have about (laughs) sex yeah like i said we're gonna have some sex puns in this in this episode but uh yeah i i I like that about how these two found each other because i think if if this story were to be retold and they found each other maybe in their early 20s like in college this story would be completely different because i think they were both so new to the idea of sex especially with a partner that it maybe would have thrown them off or maybe it would have helped them i don't know but you know the story is you know them in their late 20s early 30s something like that and they're you know finding each other after they've had a lifetime or half a lifetime of sexual experiences and weird stuff and great stuff and bad stuff um and then they decide you know what we're gonna rob a bank because why not <laughs> yeah i mean i would have come to that conclusion a lot faster than they did <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah need to make all my financial problems go away oh see if i had this power i'd probably just use it to like take a nap <laughs> <laughs> add more time in my day yes exactly that's that's where the eighth day a week yeah. um comes from is 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 come world um <laughs> mike what i assume that, just do more podcast stuff yeah i would just do more <laughs> it's, it's true though <laughs> listen all right like i don't like being called out like this <laughs> on your own show on my own goddamn show 
um anyway so i don't know do you guys have any final thoughts on this i i assume you guys are going to keep reading or you've already continued to read um but i would you what, what do you have to say about i guess just this this first volume of sex criminals i'm gonna start with you brian yeah i mean i i think that as long as you don't take sex too seriously then i think that you'll definitely love this book like just the the way they treat it as like a normal you know sometimes serious sometimes funny thing that people do is i think a great way to look at it um so i think that uh as long as you can approach this subject matter with a sense of humor i think you're gonna have a good time with it absolutely uh kate what about you uh final thoughts on just volume one (laughs) in general um it definitely ended on a bit of a cliffhanger and i have a whole lot of questions about kegel face and the time police so yeah i can see continuing with this i did want to uh, talk about the art particularly of the time freeze a bit um chip sadarsky oh, sure. mentioned that it takes a whole lot of photoshop layers to kind of add this kind of kind of pink and blue wash onto everything with all these kind of light uh rivers everywhere and it's it definitely shows and it's definitely worth it so like yes there's a whole bunch of nudity but then also like the art is really good Absolutely. I mean, and then, you know, I, I think maybe it's unfortunate we didn't spend a lot of time talking about the art in this book um, because I really, I really do enjoy Zdarsky's art like quite a bit. Um, he he really manages to capture a lot of emotional faces um, in in ways that I think few artists can. Um, and all of his characters, they, some of them have some samey looks, but on the whole, like he made two very distinct characters in Susie and John. And I really appreciate that about like how real and not gorgeous these two people are you know they feel like very real human beings um and he's and i I think brian mentioned it you know there's tons of little background art jokes i mean you got to pay attention to every single panel in this book when there's ever a chance to like actually see something in the background specifically in like a sex shop or in the background of our business like they somehow manage to throw a joke in there and it's it's fantastic um yeah, I, I mean, like, this first volume, going back and rereading it, I, I don't think I've reread it since it came out. So, fi- seeing where this whole book started, it makes me happy to know that even after, you know, 20-some issues, um, I feel like I never had to go back and reread this book because everything was so distinctly stuck in my head because of how strong of a first volume this book is. Um, I... I I would recommend this to anybody who is like I think Brian, like you said, if you don't, if you're not going to take sex too seriously, this is probably the funniest goddamn book you can read. Um, so yeah, this is it's a stupendous book. Uh, it's it's kind of unfortunate we didn't get a lot of comments on the Goodreads about this um, because this was like overwhelmingly chosen by the group. Um, so I'm really curious to know what other folks thought about it. So if you have any thoughts, make sure to contact us send us a tweet send us an email or something let us know about um you know your thoughts on this book if you love the letters pages if you hate this book that's fine let me know um so i guess like to 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 wrap things up you know you can follow us all on twitter you can follow kate at kate elfier you can follow brian at brian head and you can follow me at mike rappin and the show is at ircb podcast where we post things and tweets and instagram we also have an instagram same account ircb podcast this show and our many subscriber only episodes are powered by fans like you on patreon you can join us now at patreon.com slash ircb podcast if you haven't already please rate and review our show five stars and apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts you can also join us on our discord server at ircbpodcast.com slash discord and uh, you know make sure to bring a friend tell them about our show 
Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Xander's a wizard, a cool guy, and a fantastic editor. He edits the show. I want to say thank you to Brian and Kate for being on this episode this week. Thank you to everyone out there who was just really cool and came and hung out with us at our hangout on Friday. That was such a blast. We were online way too late, despite saying we were going to wrap up at 10 p.m. I think we were on until like 1 in the morning. So thank you guys so much for hanging out. That was such a great time. Uh, And until next time, comics are good, and so are you. 